Hello, and welcome to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension podcast series. Today's podcast is a research update. My name is Sarah Sheik, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today is Edward Young, who recently finished his Master of Science degree and just recently started his PhD in the Department of Animal Science. To get us started today, Edward, will you tell us about yourself, including who you're working with? Hello, my name is Zhao Hui Yang, and I always go by Edward, and most people know me as Edward Yang. And I just finished my master's degree in swine nutrition at the University of Minnesota, and I will continue on my PhD very soon. And I work with uh, Drs. Jerry Sherson and Pedro Riola and some other uh, professors in our integrated animal systems biology team. And what research topic will you be sharing with us today? So most of my master's work is about the uh, use of novel high-protein distiller screens, both in nursery pigs and growing finishing pigs. So today I'll be sharing some information about our studies of using up to 30% of the novel high-protein distiller screens in swine diet. So can you give us a brief introduction to your research study? Like explain why it was a valuable project to do? Sure, uh, so I'm sure most of the swine producers today already know that DDGS is a cost-effective alternative feed ingredient. And in recent years, a few of the novel ethno plants adopted some new technologies to produce more concentrated co-products, and we call them high-protein DDGS with more than 40% of crude protein. And some of them even have up to 50% of crude protein. And the ethno industry thought that it can be an excellent feed ingredient with high nutritional value and may uh, partially replace soybean meal. But the high-protein DDGS actually uh, possesses several characteristics that might limit its use in swine diets. For example, the high-protein level is true, but it has low essential amino acids, such as lysine. And the digestibility of this amino acid is also low. So it might not be a really good source to replace soybean meal. And also it has high corn oil content or high linoleic acid that affects pork quality uh, pork fat quality, especially, and affect how bacon can be processed. And there are also some other characteristics that I will be mentioning later. So our studies are, were designed to help producers better understand the nutritional values of this novel high-protein co-product. Good. And as I remember from my swine nutrition classes, just because you say high-protein, doesn't necessarily always mean high protein because like you mentioned we need to think about those amino acids and lysine in particular is a limiting amino acid when we talk about swine so yes we do need to take that into consideration swine nrc book does actually provide some information for high protein ddg however those values were derived from old generations of HPDDG that's no longer being produced. And for our novel HPDDGs, there's very limited published information on the amino acid digestibility or metabolizable energy, etc. 
So if we want to formulate diets using this novel co-product, we have to rely on some of the book values for NRC and assume they are accurate. And then we can test accuracy. So in this experiment, we analyzed the chemical composition of this novel co-product. And then we applied the NRC published digestibility coefficients to calculate our estimate used in the formulation. So our diets are based on some of our estimated nutritional values. And the pigs were fed either a corn soy control diet or a diet with 30% of HBDDG for 16 weeks. And the reason why we chose 30% of HPDG is that previous studies have shown that up to 30% of HPDG can be fed without negative effects on gross performance and carcass composition. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, we want to test whether our assumption is accurate. So we use the gross performance and carcass composition as our criteria to evaluate our uh, evaluation. And so what were the results of your study? So we found there was no statistical differences in feed intake or gain efficiency between the pigs fed control diet or HPDDG. But pigs fed HPDDG actually grow slower than the control pigs. Um, that's one of the interesting results we found. And then we found lower carcass yield. Well, that is very common in, um, that in pigs fed high fiber diet, and it's expected. And I, like I mentioned earlier, the high protein co-products we use to have higher corn oil content. So the high polyunsaturated fatty acid was also deposited into the pigs back fed. And we observed the higher IV value, a diodine value that evaluates the work fat quality. However, this number is actually acceptable and within the American standards. So even though that was compromised, it is still acceptable. And uh, similar back fat depth was found, but smaller loinine muscle area or a lower fat-free lean percentage was observed. And that means there's something not accurate in our diet formulation even though some of the problems are common in situations where distiller screens were used. So to give a brief summary, we found acceptable gross performance and carcass compositions when pigs fed or were fed 30% of HPDG, but it is highly likely that we overestimated the digestibility of amino acids. Um, because we used the NRC book values. So one reason is that variations of digestibilities or the composition of co-products exist, and that has been shown in many literature. There's another study done by Canadians that showed the SID, which is standardized digestibility for lysine, varies from 47 to 56 for the same co-product produced by the same ethnoplant, but at different time points. So there's almost a 10% differences there. But for the NRC book value, it's 69, which is 10% even higher than the higher one reported by that study. And the 69% is actually what we use in our diet formulation. So we could 
overestimated the lysine content so that pigs fed HPDDG are deficient in lysine. And other reasons has been involved with the increased amino acid requirement because of some other nutrients. And that's been shown in some of our other studies and other researchers. For example, fiber actually induces the intestinal secretion of mucin. And mucin is composed of threonine, a very important amino acid. So when the threonine is lost in the mucin, it increases actually the threonine requirement. And also, high protein co-products usually have high leucine content. This is a hot topic now in the swine industry that the leucine, valine, and isoleucine share catabolism pathways. And excessive amount of leucine actually increases the valine and isoleucine requirement. So that's what we found in our study. Even though acceptable gross performance and carcass composition were observed, there might be some problems with the NRC book value when we evaluate our novel high-protein co-products. And so moving forward, do you think there's additional studies that need to be done within this area? Yes. So uh, actually, there are some companies doing studies on the last point I talked about. It's the brain-chain amino acid, the interaction between valine, isoleucine, and uh, losing. And also, in our own group, we have proposed several studies to look into problems associated with the use of high-protein co-products. And hopefully, that can be answered soon. So now, getting back to this study, why are the results you shared important takeaways from your study? Yes. So although the high-protein co-product represents only a very small portion of the DDGS produced today. It might get popular in the future because ethnoplants actually love this technologies because there's a high financial return. Um, but as a, relative new, a relatively new ingredient that producers are not familiar with, the HPDDG might be used with caution. And because each co-product might have a unique composition as, uh, in terms of digestibility and energy content and things like that, producers should use the manufacturer's recommended nutritional values, but not a, generali a generalization. For example, the NRC book value for HPDDG. And uh, more importantly, if you have to, use, if you are in the area that HPDDG is offered, you might want to consider add additional lysine and tryptophan in most cases because the high protein DDG actually is low in those amino acids. And since it has high fiber content, threonine might be another amino acid that needs to be added. And also, since the problem with the branching amino acid hasn't been resolved, Valine and isoleucine might also be needed in, at this time because the full problem hasn't been solved. Thank you. So based off your results, what conclusions can be made from your study? So in growing and finishing pigs, HPDGs can actually be added to save feed cost, but you might compromise the growth performance and carcass composition. But in nursery pigs, 
which is another study that I didn't give a lot of details, we found that um, they should not be used, especially at high inclusion levels, even though their nutritional profile might sound really promising. And uh, at this point, we already designed several studies, and we're trying to find out solutions to solve these issues in the short future. Thank you. Very interesting, Edward. So this wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you, Edward, for sharing your research on novel high-protein distillers grains with us today. And thank you to those listening to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension podcast. This, again, has been Sarah Sheik, Swine Extension educator, along with Edward Young, sharing his research on novel high-protein distillers grains. To further connect with the University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit our updated web pages at our updated URL, which is z.umn.edu backslash umn swine extension. And you can also connect with us on our blog and Facebook page, which you can also find at that URL that I just shared, to learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog at www.umnswinenews.com.